Hello, and welcome to the Four Elements of Healthcare podcast, the podcast where we explore healthcare as it relates to the patient's perspective. I'm your host, Vasanth Kankuriam, internist, pediatrician, and mini cupcake baker. Welcome to Episode 8. Today's element of focus is empowerment. Many of us have been listening to the news over the past few months with many questions and some answers. How are decisions made? What does it mean to be in a state of emergency? Is it a federal or state level decision? What about the town level? And how do I advocate for my beliefs? While many of us have learned about these theoretically in school, it's always a difference to experience to see how it plays out in real life. Joining us today in conversation is Dr. Saud Anwar. Saud has served in public office since 2011 as a town council member and then for two terms as mayor in South Windsor, Connecticut. In 2019, he was elected to represent residents of the 3rd State Senate District in Connecticut. He's a pulmonary and critical care physician who trained at Yale, from where he also obtained his master's in public health. Welcome, Saud. Thank you so much, Vasant, for having me. You know, so before we begin, you know, I've been watching your career for some time now and, and very inspired by your journey, you know, from being an immigrant physician to mayor to state legislator. Would you mind sharing with our listeners a little bit about your own career path and journey? Sure. Thank you so much uh, for, for having me and then thank you for that question. So, Vasant, um, as a physician, um, we learn about health issues in the community. We learn about uh, how a disease occurs in individuals. And um, my passion has been to try and address problems. And uh, as physicians, we get trained and we're blessed to be able to um, understand how body works, what is the physiology, and then what are the pathologies of the diseases individual gets, and then what interventions we can make to try and fix those. Um, I never considered myself a physician till I did a public health, uh, um, a master's in public health and looked at it from a broader perspective. And, and the rationale was that if we can try and understand how a body works, why is it that we are not able to look at how a community works and what can be done to make sure that the health and the well-being of a community can be fixed through um, a medical and a clinical background. Uh, this uh, path allowed me to try and look at uh, the the potential illnesses that are developing in our communities and our societies uh, as we speak and in, in, in the past as well in current times. And then you say, okay, what can be done to prevent this? Or what can be done to intervene in some of these areas? And then you start to figure out what role you can play. And then you you put yourself in those positions to try and identify solutions and before you know it, people say, well, you should run for a position or an office. And, and you, you say, no, no, I'm not interested. But they say, hey, you're already doing this work. Why don't you do this? And, and the other part is that, look, there are people who are professional politicians and there are professionals who go into uh, public life to try and make a difference. And so I'm the latter who is a physician at the core and, and in every aspect. And as a result, I am trying to uh, increase my capacity to do more rather than just to take care of one patient at a time, look at larger number of patients, and then prevent illnesses and, and, and increase the well-being and health of our communities that we serve. So that, that path has led me to those places. And, and just because I'm not a professional politician, when people try to influence you or threaten you, you say, well, fine, I'm just going to do the right thing. And uh, if you want to 
scare me. I'll not get scared of my political career perspective. I'm just going to do the right thing. And, and if uh, you don't, uh, you work towards not having me get elected, I will just be my, my physician and then take care of one patient at a time rather than a broader community and do the right thing for a broader community. So those paths and those ups and downs and, and, and the challenges have allowed the community to recognize that uh, I worked a little differently and, and maybe able to be more effective. And they have been very gracious and very kind to give me opportunities to continue to serve. Wow, that, that was fascinating. And I think, you know, one thing you said resonates a lot. I think a lot of times as physicians in the healthcare field, um, you know, we, we see that conflict or that sort of um, same scenario with administration. We, you know, there's been a lot of discussion on, you know, physician leadership. And so, and how do you sort of transcend from being a clinician to, to being a leader or being a politician or a legislator? And I think it, it, it brings a very different perspective. Do you find that to be true in your case, that being a physician has made you different um, as a legislator? Um, I, I think so, Basant, and I'll tell you why. Look, our professions teach us how to think and identify and solve problems. Um, so an engineer uh, will look at a problem in a different way than a lawyer, than a teacher, and then a physician. And, and not saying that one thing is better than the other, but our professions allow us to start to identify and then solve things in a different way. And then, so um, the medical perspective is, uh, as you know, is that when we are seeing a patient in the office, we have a subjective assessment, then you have an objective assessment, and then you make an assessment, and then you make a plan, the SOAP format, as we call it. So somebody comes to us and then says, there is, this is the issue and I want to complain about this problem. And you say, okay, well, that's your subjective assessment. And then you start to do your due diligence and then identify what are the objective data that will actually tell us what's going on. And, and as you know, as a clinicians, we see sometimes an illness, but we also see a symptom. So if sometimes people come to us with a symptom, then you start to go deeper and you find out, well, this is a symptom of a deep-seated, bigger problem that we are dealing with and we will have to ad address that. And then, then you start to get more objective data and start to make a plan and make a timeline of what would be the way to approach this. Sometimes you do symptomatic treatment while you're trying to fix the disease. And, then, and those approaches to problems are different for different professions. So I do feel that it's a blessing to be in medical background. And, and the other thing, Vasant, you know this very well, is that we are able to listen as physicians. We are trained to listen. And, and that is the most important ingredient for public life that is missing in, in, by, by many of the people who serve because they, are, they feel that they now know it all. And, and we are not because we are trying to solve a problem and we can only solve it right if we are willing to listen to the issues that people bring to us with patience and understanding. Very well said. No, I, that's fantastic. Um, you know, and sort of while we're, you know, discussing a little bit about, um, you know, these issues, I think one of the, the issues that we're all, you know, facing still um, is sort of this pandemic. And I think, uh, you know, over the last few months, many of us have spent a lot of time, you know, watching news, watching decisions uh, being made. And, and I wanted to sort of explore that process a little bit from your perspective. 
Um, and, you know, going back to the very beginning, you know, even just talking about some of the terminology, um, you know, epidemic, pandemic, and, you know, there's uh, been a lot of declarations of, you know, public health emergencies, and, you know, the terms themselves are, are very scary, um, you know, from a, from a lay person's um, perspective. So, what exactly does it mean? So when, when folks are in states of public health uh, emergencies at the town level, the state level, um, what does it mean and how does it impact um, folks when such declarations are being made? Sure. So some of the, the areas are very easy to understand. If, if God forbid, there was a, a hurricane uh, or there was a fire those things are very easily understandable to uh, a layperson. Public health emergencies, on the other hand, are a little bit more complex. Uh, their capacity to harm people is very similar, if not far more, than what you see in many of the other emergencies. Um, the only difference is the spread is, is through works through a different mechanism. And, and uh, understanding the capacity of how that emergency is going to impact the well-being of the communities and, and their families is, is very different for every public health emergency that there is. And we can use a current example. Here we are, our house and everything is standing, uh, but our, our health is threatened because of this uh, virus, which can uh, impact Syria and then literally kill people, a small percentage of the people, thankfully, but it can still kill people. And we don't know um, who's going to be next in the list because it, it is a silent uh, spreader uh, when we don't protect ourselves. And, and, and that actually is a, is a significant concern to everyone. And then as a result of which we do protections and uh, those protections have a significant financial impact on everybody's life as well. So it, it's, it, it, it evolves into a different pattern that we are not necessarily used to and our minds are not ready to grasp the, the, the rationale at times for what, what's happening. So uh, for a person, they say, hey, why am I have to be worried? I'm sitting here and I'm healthy and I'm, I'm, I'm watching television. I've seen enough of it. I don't want to sit around anymore. And it's so beautiful outside. And that makes, I can understand that. But what the, the public health part is that that person may get infected and may be healthy, but they can spread it to hundreds of other people like we have seen in different parts of the world and in the United States for that matter. And that actually is the fear from a public health point of view. And then you create an emergency because there's a legal part to the emergency. The legal part of the emergency is that the executive branch of the government has far more powers to be able to order things. So um, in normal days, um, the governor role is limited because executive responsibilities are somewhat limited and the things have to go through the legislative branch and the governor would be one important part of the branch that would sign on to those laws. And that's how laws are made. But now in an emergency, you're having executive orders almost every other day, if not more frequently, to be able to address the immediate needs that people have. And that's a very uh, important role in how a government has to function in an emergency situation. So this is by law, and thankfully it's protected by law, to be able to do that in an emergent situation. So uh, I know I'm, I'm not as crisp as I'd like to be, but, but I'm trying to give you some perspective of the public health emergency and how that emergency is a little different 
footprint than the emergencies that we can see and feel and 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 then understand much more easily. So it sounds like there's both, you know, you've got sort of the healthcare piece of it, and then you've also had the 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 legal decision making branch of it, which um, and what I understand from what you're saying is that it functions differently than going through the standard legislative process that you would in sort of day-to-day business. Does that sound right? Yes, absolutely. So how does this, you know, so if we, if we go down to the town level, right, so as, you know, um, former mayor of, of a town yourself, how does that work at a town level and then at the state level? So how do these ideas or decisions go from um, being uh, an idea or a thought to an actual policy of the town and the state, both in and outside of an emergency situation? So uh, the, the towns have the capacity, if, if there's a limited disaster, the towns have the capacity to be able to uh, declare a state of emergency. And that would actually allow the town to be able to address a number of immediate needs. And, and um, there are uh, policies that may need to be taken care of. For example, uh, in 2011, and we had this storm. And uh, this uh, October storm just uh, had a significant impact or a severe impact in parts of some parts of our state. So let's say the town of South Windsor at that time, we had a state of emergency because uh, we had uh, many of the uh, trees down and, and the wires were down. So we had to create a state of emergency and say people can't use the roads and they have to stay indoors during that time. And that was for their own protection because we did not want people to be electrocuted or be harmed. And, and there was uh, not uh, electricity around at that time. And we wanted to make sure people were able to find a shelter and then create some of those safe spaces for people. So that are the immediate need is to save the lives of people and then save their, their entire uh, protection, uh, uh, not only for them, but their families and, and their properties. So those decisions would be made. And, and if we were to, in the absence of that emergency, if we said, let's call a town council meeting, and then we have to, uh, by law, have about 48 hours or a week's notice, depending on what kind of a meeting it is. Um, then we actually have a sit-down conversation, and then we discuss. So, so those legislative processes are not efficient. And, and in the absence of that efficiency, we lose time. So having a town be able to do it is critical. Now, the other part is when you declare the state of emergency, and if it's an emergency, there's going to be support from the federal agencies and the state agencies need to have that emergency to be able to get to that point. So if FEMA needs to be involved, the, the, the governor has to declare a state of emergency. And if your town or one town is supposed to get benefit, they have to have a declared emergency as well to be able to get the flow of funds or 75% of the funds that the the federal government may be able to reimburse that the people or, or the town may lose. Um, th- those are, are the, the financial reasons, but practical life-saving reasons that are needed, and not only at the local level, but at the state level and at the federal level for that matter as well to be able to intervene. So, you know, let's say I'm, you know, I'm listening to this podcast right now and, um, you know, I, you know, there's some things that I'd like to weigh in on. How, how do I learn about what are uh, active issues that are being discussed, you know, perhaps at the t- state or town level? Um, and then and how do I weigh in? I think historically, you know, kids are always taught, you know, make sure you write to your legislator. Um, you know, are those letters helpful? And what exactly happens with those letters? So if you could just sort of share, you know, 
to summarize, you know, how, how, do the, how do folks weigh in on opinions for particular issues and what is the most efficient way of doing that? Sure. Um, I, I think f first, um, having a direct impact and listening to the issues that you're, the people are having in the community. So if, if uh, uh, I'd love to give some examples. Um, so if, if somebody says that the, the cost of uh, water has gone up very high for me and, and, and I'm concerned in, the, in my town that the cost of uh, water supply and, and, and is much more than it was before, and there's been a, a 30, 40% increase that we're seeing. Now, if it's directly impacting them, uh, they actually at that time would reach out to the legislator locally. And, and, and the, the good part is that uh, the local legislators, the town council members, the mayors are much more easily accessible and so are the state representatives and state senators. And, and at that time, that uh, I'm available by email um, that's very easily accessible and, and so is the mayor and, and the town council members. And you write to them and say, I have this concern. Uh, that this actually is a 40% increase. I'm using this number arbitrarily. It's 40% increase in my, my cost of water supply to my, my home, and I can't afford it anymore, and this is way out of proportion to what would be expected. That letter gets to, to uh, uh, the state representative and the state senator, and we actually go to the water supply company and say, what is the reason for it? And then we would be able to uh, have a meeting and a discussion with them right away. And, and sometimes because they do get funding from the state, they are more likely to answer to us than they would be to uh, somebody else. And so we become the voice of the people who are getting impacted. So, and then, and the other thing is that an average person um, in the community has uh, to take care of their job, their families and their responsibilities. So they are not going to sit around for hours to have these meetings with these uh, different companies uh, and, and, and that's why you have people like me and others who would be there because we are committed to trying and that's why we do what we do to try and fight the fight to help the individuals. That's where you will, we will be able to address that policy and then look at it and then, then, then identify ways to take care of this. And that's what we have done. I'm, I'm giving you a real example of how we've been able to keep the costs down and when they're not listening, then we say, okay, well, then uh, I'm here to represent my community. And if you're not going to be able to help my community, then don't expect me to be able to help you from the states and either. Um, and then we do it nicely and we do it not so nicely to protect our community people representing us. In the same way, if you have an idea, you reach out to the people like myself, and then we would be able to work with you, understand the problem and, and hopefully solve it. Sometimes it is a navigation issue and sometimes it is a legislative issue so you we that's the part of the experience comes in and you say okay i need to solve this problem and this can be solved by making a group of people sit down together and identify how they can do this better or if that doesn't work you do it legislatively and and uh, make a law around that part as well and then those are our ways we address this and speaking of ideas, I think, you know, um, you know, I think you'll, you'll agree that one of the most fascinating things to come out of these past few months is the amount of innovation. Um, and, and unfortunately, sometimes there's no stronger force than a crisis to help us really, you know, question that, that system and the status quo. And uh, what are some of the things, you know, as you sort of, um, you know, reflect on these few months and, um, and even thinking of the process of idea generation, um, what are some of the things that we're learning in healthcare um, from the 
from the perspective of innovation from the past few months, do you think? Um, Basant, this is the exciting part about this whole disaster is that we are identifying how we could have done a lot of things better. Um, for example, um, uh, there are people who are looking at uh, what can be done to try and make sure that their certain surfaces would not have the virus or bacteria live on them or stay on them. We know that the virus can stay on certain surfaces for three days or so, but if we have a specific kind of metal or, or com combination of uh, materials that can be on various surfaces, the virus would not stay more than a few seconds over it. And that would revolutionize the industry. Again, now people are using UVC light to try and um, kill the viruses and bacteria on various surfaces as well. So literally uh, our, our understanding and planning about prevention of diseases is, is going to change drastically. So much research and so much uh, entrepreneurship is, is uh, uh, working on ways to be able to look at how to identify the disease better, how to be able to treat it better, what are the best way of testing it, how do you reduce the viral load in the society, in the community, what kind of material in masks can be used. Um, so we are at, uh, at, at the brink of a new era of uh, literally entrepreneurs having a war against infectious organisms and then management of illnesses in, in broad, uh, broad ways. So I'm, 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 this is a very exciting part of uh, healthcare that I'm, I'm seeing right now. And I am glad that I'm part of this uh, effort as well. Yeah, and I think it's, it's been amazing even just sort of talking to, to patients and, and other folks, even just on the way they're getting care um, are, has been amazing. I mean, they're loving so much of the telemedicine that you're, you're you know, talking to. I think they're, you know, for a while, there was a lot of hesitancy with, oh, will different generations be able to cope up with, um, you know, the, the different experience. But, you know, the more I've talked to people, the more they've actually found it quite liberating to be able to have the system that's working around the need rather than um, having people forced into a system that um, is in many ways um, no longer meeting the needs of people. Yes, I, I agree with you completely. Absolutely. So, you know, I think, yeah, you know, as we sort of wrap our conversation, um, you know, as people are listening to today, I'm, I'm, you know, I can imagine they've, you know, gotten so much out of it. I, for one, definitely have. Um, how can, you know, what advice do you have if, let's say, someone listening to this wants to get more involved in um, advocacy or, or health policy or, or policy in general? Um, what do you see as some, you know, simple things that everyone can do and then perhaps some more involved opportunities that people can pursue um, if they want to? So, so I think, uh, Vasant, the, the important thing is that if our societies are evolving and then any society that stops evolving is, is uh, moving in the wrong direction. So if people start to see that something is not right, that they're coming across, the, for example, if, if um, they feel that there are policies that need to be made, which need to be improved, um, having a plan of action uh, would require like-minded people to get together, have conversations of what could be done better, and, and then work with your elected officials to, to look at uh, opportunities to improve things and then see what would be the way to approach things. And again, um, I, I say that uh, in, uh, we, we joke about the state of Connecticut and of steady habits. 
but I think we should not have study habits. We need to actually uh, say that we are not going to allow the status quo to be um, continued. And then people say, this is how we do things is something that's not smart. You say, well, this is how we do things, but we could do them better. And if you think that we can do things better, you start to identify what could be done better. And how can we start with the local interaction in, in, in the community, uh, if there are roads that are being made, could they be made more efficiently? Are there policies that are being made at the town level that could be more smarter and effective and efficient? And then, and then you move on to the state policies and the federal policies and see what interventions can be made. And um, writing about them, uh, trying to solve them together with people or elected uh, individuals, are, are ways to approach this. But this is how we should think because uh, we will stop evolving if we don't start to identify and start to solve more new problems. Awesome. I love it. I think, uh, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. There's, you know, I think uh, the, the status quo um, really in many ways hinders our own evolution as a society and, um, you know, as sort of a, um, a community. So, um, kudos. I, I really appreciate your time today. Um, and I thank you for everything that you've done, you know, for our town, for the state. Um, and, uh, and so once again, thank you so much for joining us. I think our listeners got a wealth of information. Um, so thank you again. Thank you, Asant, for having me. I, I truly appreciate our conversation. And then let's continue the conversations going forward as well. Thanks for joining us and learn more about how healthcare can be comfortable, affordable, personalized, and easily accessible at Four Elements Direct Primary Care in Connecticut. Check out www.4elementsdpc.com. Signing off until our next episode. Enjoy the nice weather coming ahead. Stay safe and stay tuned as we revolutionize primary care together. 